You're listening to the Growth Experts Podcast. So if you're looking to 10X your business by learning proven growth strategies, you're in the right place. During my interviews with top CEOs, entrepreneurs, and marketers, I dig deep to uncover the real strategies, hacks, and tools to help you achieve your goals. And I'm your host, Dennis Brown. Hey, have you ever wondered how I generate thousands of inbound leads per year using LinkedIn? Well, this episode is sponsored by my guide, The Ultimate Guide to Generating Inbound Leads with LinkedIn. This is the definitive guide on how to consistently generate inbound leads using LinkedIn and social selling. So if you want a copy of that guide, just send a text to 44222 with the word L-I guide, all one word, L-I guide to 44222, or you can go to my website at askdennisbrown.com forward slash guide. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And today we have yet another amazing guest. His name is Reed Lappin. He's the founder and CEO of Vocal, which is a a leading growth consultancy that helps mid-market brands at any stage of their digital product life cycle. A few of his clients include Weber Grill, Bosch, as well as Chamberlain Liftmaster, which you may have never heard of, but owns the market. So he's going to expand on why they pivoted into such a an interesting niche and how they were able to find that niche. But more importantly, we're going to talk about how recruiting, leveraging, and retaining top talent has been a huge differentiator for Vocal and how they've leveraged it to see significant growth. So welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Dennis. And yeah, thank, thanks for the great intro. Yeah. So as Dennis mentioned, I'm the founder and CEO at Vocal. The business has been around 10 years, but the most interesting Part of the 10 years have been probably the last two and a half. And yeah, and speaking about what's really unlocked compounding growth for Vocal and really giving us the momentum to, to really scale the company has been kind of two sides. I almost view it as like a marketplace. One, one second, one second, before yes. we dive into that, because I know you're, you're really ready to dive into this and that's awesome. I'm excited. But before <laughs> we do that, tell people what Vocal is. Give, give them a little bit of a snapshot into Vocal because you know leading growth consultancy is a little broad, right? Sure. Give, Help it draw a picture of what you guys provide for clients. What's the outcome that you provide? Yeah. So we're, we really focus in on three buckets, product innovation, go-to-market, growth hacking, performance marketing, and product strategy and optimization. So everything that we do for the clients that we work with is really meant to tie our work to quantitative growth. I think too often in consulting, there's certainly nothing wrong with qualitative, but at the end of the day, if you're not able to grow metrics and you're not able to prove those metrics, you have to ask yourself if your investments are working. So in focusing on mid-market, you know, a big part of our strategy is predominantly in talent acquisition on the vocal side, which makes our business challenging, right? The way we think about building vocal in this space is how do we build the only, not just the best. If we think about being the best consulting firm, there's a lot of great firms out there and it's, it's kind of relative to what you're good at. And so what kind of brings us to that only category is is really in our recruiting. And that predominantly starts with me. And it's really focused on hiring digital athletes out of high growth startups or scaled tech companies. Just in realizing that these are the hired hands. These are the people that have raised tens of millions of venture dollars. They've disrupted industries. And they've really proven high valuations from tens of millions to hundreds of millions to billion dollar IPOs. And so you'll see about 60% of our roster has either spent the entirety of their career in this environment or is most recently coming out of a high growth digital startup or scaled ecosystem. Gotcha. So that goes hand in hand with what we're going to talk about today, right? So, you know, 
Reed has explained they've been in business for about 10 years, but as of late, since the pandemic and since everything's, you know, all the changes that every business has went through, particularly in the last year, you know, he's made some significant changes and that's resulted in significant growth, even during a downturn in the market, right? So, I mean, whenever you can see growth in a downturn, right? I mean, obviously that, you know, whenever those things are lining up, obviously something has changed, especially when you've been around for 10 years, right? You know, you're not going from 200,000 to a million to 2 million, right? That's, that's fairly, fairly easy growth. Once you start getting closer to eight figures, it's a lot more difficult. So, all right, great. So here, I guess what was really interesting to me and has kind of been, you know, just makes total sense is that as a consultancy or an agency, your talent really is what you're selling, right? You're selling your talent, right? You're selling their ability to provide some sort of outcome. But I'll be honest with you, having been involved with numerous consultants over the years through a variety of different businesses and being involved in different agencies, particularly in the digital module model over the last five years, I'll be honest with you, I've seen people that are educated, meaning they understand, but I don't know that I would consider them talented because I don't know that they actually were able to achieve significant results in the past. Right. So I mean, yes. You know, I think that, you know, there's two schools of thought, right? You can focus on the price and you can say, well, hey, you know, this is my budget. This is what I can afford. Well, maybe they haven't got the greatest track record, but ultimately they're going to fill the void. And who knows, maybe we'll get some results. Or you can hire somebody who's already had significant growth, who's proven it one or two or three or four times in the past, you know, and you're going to pay a little bit more. But ultimately, you know, probability says that you're going to get a much better outcome, right? I mean, I think those are the two models, right? You've got, you got the first and the second, and you've probably got more, but I mean, I think you're focused definitely more in on the second, correct? For sure. Definitely the latter. And the, the way I've thought, sat back and thought about our talent, I, I grew up playing sports. I think there's a few ways to kind of articulate this is, is when I go back to my high school days, you look at guys that played two, three varsity sports or are comfortable playing multiple instruments on stage, right? And so when I think about the folks I'm recruiting out of these startups, these are players that when you think about growth, it's it's clearly not linear. So it's not getting good at doing just this one thing over and over and over again. Different situations in different types of digital products, services, and different stages of a life cycle call for different playbooks. It calls for a different mental model and approach. And so when we really think about these athletes, these were the ones that sat back. And if you think about the customers I focus on mid-market, they have existing cash flow, existing customers, they have brand recognition in, in their market, all the things that startups don't have when they get started, right? So when I think about the type of athlete we go after, they've seen different stages of growth. They've had to kind of think a little bit more in bets and knowing that a lot of those bets won't pay off. And they have to be nimble with the different tools and the different strategies and tactics that they apply. So in knowing that, when we think about the mid-market, you have a lot of folks that have worked for a long time at these companies. They've kind of done the same function over the years. And it hasn't been thinking a lot of bets because the, the business in itself works. But the fact of the matter is, it's, it's truly a digital revolution. It's industry 4.0, a digital economy, whatever you want to call it. So when we think about helping these companies truly scale and succeed, we want to do it with the best digital athletes that have done it before. Not necessarily going the big four style and making sure that everybody's an MBA and that everybody has a, a framework for this business or you know can give you a, a nice you know high six seven figure deck that looks really smart you know I know that these athletes can put tactics and strategies into action quickly because that's what they've had to do to scale companies that you know typically most startups fail so you're kind of entering into a, 
a zone where you don't have the odds of winning. And so finding the players that have, have successfully achieved wins in digital can unlock growth for these mid-market companies that we partner with. Yeah. So it sounds like it was kind of like a two-part, like almost like a revelation or, or a concept for this sure. pivot in that one was really identifying the right target, right? The right niche, the right market, which you said were, you know, was this mid-market. But we also talked pre-interview about how it wasn't only the mid-market, but sometimes it was companies that, you know, that, you know, were doing extremely well and were leaders in their market, you know, in in whatever market they were going after, but maybe nobody had heard of them or maybe they didn't have that sexy product. You know, they're not you know, they, you know, if they're making door jams or, or widgets, right. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not like Pepsi, right. It's not, you know, you're not for selling, sure. selling that big brand story. So, I mean, so talk to us for one minute about kind of why you decided to go that direction, how that mind, you know, how that mindset shifted, and then we'll pivot into the talent component and tie those two together. Yeah. I mean, you kind of nailed it, right. When you think of the Nikes of the world, they have much greater cash flow to plow through failure. And they also have a better brand and logo to attract a higher caliber of talent. When you look at the small to mid-market, I think that their risks are truly compounded relative to the large cap companies. If you look at the world today, competition's truly changed. Your buyer behavior has, has greatly shifted. And I think the pandemic accelerated that. Everything went digital. And when we think about our behavior with digital products, we're trained by Apple and Peloton. So when I think about you know, as Dennis said, a, co- a company that maybe makes doors, your buyer is not trained digitally by your competitive door company, right? So when we think about how we interact with these products, there's a different expectation. And frankly, what a lot of folks don't really know that work in these existing incumbent brands and businesses are the different growth tactics. I think they think more about technology investments and, and features. You have IT that's playing too heavily in kind of this modern digital revolution. You have a marketing group that tends to be perhaps dependent on dated brand marketing tactics. They're frankly playing a different sport with different tools than a high growth startup. That was the easy thing that I saw just having friends that had have scaled and IPO'd many startups. It just was very obvious to me that these are they're thinking about them in completely different ways. So that shifted me to the talent side. And one of the things I think that it might sound silly to talk about, but truly as I've surveyed my friends that are CEOs and folks that have companies that are around that $10 million marker, not many of those CEOs are out in the market cold calling talent and spending a good portion of their time each week recruiting. And while that might not be as scalable to get from 10 to 50 million, my belief is that if I can fundamentally create a foundation of the talent that we've handpicked, that we can really kind of create a self-generating talent engine. We really know the caliber of folks that we want. So as Dennis and I were chatting before, you know, sometimes I feel like a college coach, right? I wouldn't compare myself to Nick Saban in terms of the success level, but you know, I am certainly out in the market myself finding the folks that we want to bring in. And the way that I really talk to them is is one, I think a really important thing is thinking about how to share wealth in your business. And so at Vocal, we've created a profit share and equity program that's very attractive and that gets people really bought into our mission. And we view our mission in kind of a funny way, but but it's something that we've rallied around. And frankly, a lot of recruits respond well to is we're in the business of saving nostalgia, right? It was interesting the other day watching the rise and, and fall of Blockbuster on Netflix, because we all know who took out Blockbuster, right? And so as I say to our company, we're in the business of saving the brands and companies that we grew up with and gave us opportunities to our families, which wasn't Netflix, wasn't Facebook. And the other thing I highlight is you know, when you think about these companies, these are the businesses that are at this, the center 
of antitrust lawsuits, data leaks, you know, they're the ones that, that we know the least amount in terms of how they use our data, what they take from us, yet we run right back to these platforms. And so, you know, we really take pride in helping businesses that need to evolve in the digital economy. And we do it by helping, helping them with folks that have a proven track record in doing so. Gotcha. So let's put this into a couple of buckets, right? So you're recruiting, you know that one of the biggest differentiators and the biggest value propositions that you can provide to the mid-market that you've identified is that true hands-on experience of seeing significant growth. But recruiting those people is not easy. You're spending a significant amount of your time. And if anybody listening to this has ever truly recruited what I consider top talent, which is the top of the food chain, right? Guys that really, guys and gals that truly understand and, and have proven that they understand how to, you know, leverage different growth strategies and tactics, it's not easy, right? That's not an easy proposition. I mean, it can literally take years to recruit people. I mean, that's that's no exaggeration, right? So when I look at recruiting, I look at kind of, you know, kind of what's what's the outreach strategy? You know, we started talking about kind of the value proposition as far as getting them to, you know, getting them to take the leap, which is the hardest part. And then the second hardest part, probably, which is the retention piece. So let's look at those in three different buckets, right? Because I think those are the three components. Number one, I mean, what do you do for outreach to these people? I mean, these people are getting probably bombarded with offers on a regular basis because you're not the only guy who's identified that these guys are talented. So how are you doing some sort of outreach? I mean, is it more pressing the flesh at events? Is it LinkedIn? Is it email? Is it referrals? I mean, talk, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's predominantly LinkedIn. I look at startups that have gone through their earnout. So like a company in Chicago, Home Chef, eventually you wake up and you feel like you're working for Kroger, no longer Home Chef. I look at startups that, you know, had early traction but fizzled. Most startups failed to get really meaningful scale. And then I look for companies that that have raised a lot of money but eventually need to right size their unit economics and you find somewhat disenfranchised early employees that maybe the company didn't turn into you know, what the dream was, right? So when I think about these high growth startups, that kind of profiles a little bit of the area that I spend time in. For us, we are hiring folks in data engineering, product engineering, design, growth and performance marketing and product, right? So I kind of know the roles and titles that I look for. And it's just a very simple note from a CEO, which I think is really powerful and meaningful. I've had many notes of you know, if you imagine this, I'm trying to hire people that aren't looking for jobs. So I suffer a lot of rejection every week with a great attitude. But even when I get rejection, many times I, I get a note of folks saying, hey, it meant a lot that you as a CEO took interest to in me. So of that, I really just try to message on talking about, let me just share what we're building with you because it might be interesting, right? And nobody can really share the vision and the purpose and the mission of what you're trying to build better than the founder and CEO. So I think for me, when I get this talent on the call, as I always say, my core agenda and intention of my first meeting is for them to get a very strong understanding of what we're trying to build and why. And that why I think is is huge because folks really need a purpose to their work. It's not just about making money, right? I talk about wealth and wisdom is what we want to create along the journey in Vocal. And so as we get those recruits, or I shouldn't even call them recruits, we get folks that aren't looking for jobs, that get interest from some guy that reached out. And then I have them talk to the rest of my leadership team. And one of the things that I really highlight to them is I say, look, as my VP of, of finance and operations said midway through 2020, after we were really exploring this pivot and evolution of the business is, 
we want people to think that vocal is their job, not about getting a job at vocal, right? So I always look for folks that want to take that founder's mentality into helping build a company, which you don't find a lot of opportunities for that, particularly with a company with existing cash flow that isn't a startup without funding, right? So we have a strong business model that works. But I always tell them, I want you to get into the weeds with, with my leadership team and understand what's not working. I want you to think about this business and understand how can you help us unlock the challenges that are here today and ahead in the future so that we get can get momentum and building a $100 million business in five years, right? And I think really, it's not a sales pitch to them, but it's getting people into vocal in a mentality of knowing the vision and being excited about it, but knowing that it's going to be hard work and they'll have equity and rewards in terms of wealth and wisdom along the way. And that we really are trying to help the companies and brands that we grew up with fight back and punch harder in this digital revolution. So that's kind of where I go in my journey is how I I reach out to folks, how I welcome them into the vision and really articulate well what it is we're trying to build, but really stress the why. And that I want them to go in and now not, not necessarily question everything, but understand where we're at in this evolution to really get excited about the challenge of building Vocal and our brand over the next three to five years. So here, let me ask you this. Let's assume that the, the outreach goes well, you guys hit it off, good rapport, they believe in the vision. You know, financially, these, you know, the top talent, you're, you know, you're not talking about the you're not talking about someone who's going to be making fifty thousand dollars a year. You're probably not even talking about someone who's going to be making a hundred thousand dollars a year, right? They're probably making they're used to making significantly more if they've already, particularly if they're still employed, right? Which is what probably 95% of the people you're talking to are. You know, from an economic perspective, you know, you're still a relatively small company in that, you know, let's call it pre-10 million, right? You're For less sure. than 10 million in sales. How difficult is it unless you have a client engagement that's ready to basically finance that hire? That's a big leap for you to hire somebody in a high six-figure role, particularly when you're still trying to scale the business. So, I mean, what have you experienced there? I mean, have you have you had have you had hires that, you know, you bad hires in those situations where, you know, it cost you a lot of money or have you been really fortunate and, you know, most they've really been able to stick and you've been able to convert them into cash flow fairly quickly because that as a small company, yep. that's got to be challenging. Yep. Yep. No, it's a great point. And it's something that we didn't talk about before, Dennis, but I think, you know, in, in terms of what can really help you lock, unlock growth as a visionary entrepreneur and, and CEO is having a really great head of finance and operations. So. I always say I have a super entrepreneurial, his name's Austin, he's been with me a while, super entrepreneurial and flexible VP of finance and ops, right? So someone has to understand our operating cash flow model and what our free cash flow looks like over the next, you know, at minimum two quarters out. So I think we're very prudent on understanding where and how we can make these investments, but we're also very creative with how we can move costs around to accommodate hires. So Austin tends to be a not a no first. He's not necessarily a yes first, but you know, we, we definitely engineer our financials in a way that can really allow us to make the right investments, but also understand the risks ahead with those. Even things like you mentioned, matching that with pipeline, right? So not, we're actually down, I think the last number I had was like six to 10 hires that we need to just fill the work that we have. So we definitely do have the pipeline of opportunities that we can turn this into cash flow. But then it's about understanding all of your, I call them margin boosters, right? Like what are all the margin booster levers that you can have in the company? And we don't necessarily want to charge Accenture prices. I think we kind of view ourselves as like the pirate consultancy or like Robinhood consultancy that like we want to find the right sweet spot of what we make to the value that we drive. On the other end of it, 
I think it's really smart that as a founder and CEO, if you don't have investors, I happen to not have investors besides my family is really being willing to share in the upside and the growth. So we've created a profit share and equity program so that folks can participate on the incremental value and growth. It helps us too, for frankly, when you think of scale, do people you know, kind of think to themselves, do we really need another hire for this role or for this work? Because that's more in the profit share that we have to give out. I don't think that that's, it's more of a mentality and a thought. It's not a selfish or greedy motive or question. But then I think you know the willingness to really share with your team in the upside. And, and we are building what we think towards an exit in five years. We either think we're going to raise growth capital to scale the model geographically and scale into some other acquisitions to tuck in, or we're going we're gonna to find a buyer that makes sense for us to keep building the company. And I think that that too gets people excited to think that they're building towards something. And so, yeah, th- that vehicle I think is really important, particularly when you're talking about top talent. So yeah, Dennis, I, I believe that you know having a great financial partner having an operating model that you really have a good handle on your cash flow, understanding your investment strategy and where money is going to be going in the future. So you don't just wake up and say, I've worked, now I've just got to go make a hire that's going to make X in salary. So I think having good plans in place and then a really good vehicle that helps people see a path towards wealth and wisdom for their families. Gotcha. Okay. So having that CFO, that financial guy that can really understand that, I think that's a huge benefit that you have that a lot of businesses don't necessarily have. Because like you said, a lot of people in that role are no first, right? They're that, they take that no first approach. We can't afford that. We can't do that, right? And that obviously can stifle growth, especially when it, you, know, you need some sort of lubrication here to release the wheels, especially when you're talking about hiring people. Let's talk a little bit about, so that retention piece, you, know, you talked, expand for a minute on that profit sharing and equity are you doing both? Are they somehow tied together? Because profit sharing and equity are different. Are you truly sharing equity in the business where they're going to own you know, stock in the business and equity and, and participate in that exit? Is it more of just a profit sharing? What is that? I mean, you don't need to get into particulars, but I mean, I think that's something that a lot of business owners have debated on, right? Have debated yeah. on in the past. Even myself, when I had my last high growth startup, it was something that we had talked about along the way, but we went away from for different reasons, right, wrong, or indifferent. So I'm just curious your thoughts on that and what that might look like a little bit. Yeah, I won't unpack all the details because there's a, there's a lot of layers of course, to it. Yeah. But, but at the end of the day, it is a profit share program and an equity program. For me on the equity side, I don't use it as a negotiating tactic when we're talking compensation. It's just something that I want there and that really triggers on the, the event of an exit, right? So this is me saying, we want to monetize this go to market. We want to build a, a, a healthy business. Doesn't necessarily have to be a big business, but we want to build a big business. And so it, it does serve both. There's certain hurdles along the way that we have in place that motivates the company to bring us to you know right levels of scale, right levels of balance sheet. And so it's it's aligning the motivations as well for the company to create value. But it it is both. It does serve as both. It is company wide. And so, yeah, that, that's as far as I'll take in terms of what that program is. I think having a good legal team and, account and an accounting team that can help you think through this and really, you know, I've gone through a few different legal teams and there's some that are like, oh, okay, you need this type of agreement. I want someone that like thoughtfully is hearing an entrepreneur's vision on what they want and doesn't just give you like the canned agreement that the associate just kind of like pulls together. And it's like, here's your phantom stock program or here's your this program. It's like, no, no, no. Here's how I want to think about it help me engineer the right vehicle. And so fortunately, we had a great firm that was, was able to work, work with us through that. 
and we're excited. We're rolling that out, hopefully knock on wood the next month or so. So we're hope we're fortunate to be at a point to be able to do that. But I think your point on retention, like, of course, like equity and this program, you know, helps in retention to a degree, but I don't think it's the be all end all because it's such a competitive market in terms of hiring. I think really culture and people are what re- can really, dr- and continued momentum and success, right? If, if you don't have that, it's not necessarily a fun place to be. But I think really like trying to generate a culture that really is designed intentionally. And I think that we're, we're in the early stages of reprogramming our culture around this vision, but people know that they want to weigh in on that. When you think about like diversity and inclusion, when you think about you know, all the different perks and offerings that you want to give. But I also think, again, I would encourage people, I as a founder spend a lot of time just free-flowing and documenting things that I would dream to have in our culture. Because it just can't be, let me go hire a consultant or let me go get this program or let me, you know, I think too often people take things out of the box and don't really, really consider what the intention on their culture to be. And then I think lastly, on the retention piece, having that mission, that mission and that purpose to your work. And for us, even too, being able to see the metric growth that we're driving, not only for Vocal, but most excited, we tie all of our, our work to metric growth for clients. Those are huge rewards that you have to celebrate. But I would say like that mission and that purpose and what we're building allows you to fight through the good times and the bad times and maintain you know strong retention levels and, and a strong growth unit because we know we're building for long-term sustained success, not for just a win today. Perfect. Well, listen, is there anything else you want to add? I got a couple rapid fire questions and then we're going to wrap it up for today. Let's hit the rapid fire questions. Awesome. So what would be one of your favorite growth tools, software, apps, something that you use to grow your business? I know you mentioned LinkedIn. I don't know if that's it or others, but what would be some one of the tools that you're using to help you see growth? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, I think for us, like if you think just on the sales and marketing and growth of our sales side, one of the things... I work with a writer and produce a lot of content on LinkedIn in and around what we're passionate about at Vocal and our true point of view on the space. It's not that that's the best growth tool, but what I like about it is I always get folks on calls, whether they're people we're recruiting or clients that we're working with or clients that we're pitching. People always say, you know, your LinkedIn posts are some of the only posts I ever read. Like they're very thoughtful. They're a little bit edgy to a degree. And so I, I like that because it's a platform to really give our point of view to a professional community that cares about it, right? And you can target it to the right audiences. And it's fulfilling to have people say like, reading that content is fulfilling for me because there's a lot of content out there. So that LinkedIn and just posts and working with a strong writer that you partner well with has been a really, really positive tool for Focal's perception in terms of how we think about our thought leadership in the market. And what would be one book that you would recommend? Maybe something that you've read helped you on your journey you think might help them on theirs? Oh, wow. There's, can, I give, can I give two? So uh, It'll I cost like, you 100 bucks. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. Right, Go ahead. Yeah. You got it. I recently read Work Rules. It's a book from Google's head of HR. Really great perspective with some really unconventional ways of thinking about how you're building your business. And then the other one was Creativity Inc. I'll out myself and I'm a huge Pixar Disney fanboy. But Creativity Inc. is it was probably it's a pretty large book, but it was one of my most inspiring favorite reads. Love it. Well, listen, Reed, let everybody know how they can connect with you, learn more about vocal and what you got going on over there, and then we'll wrap it up for today. Yeah, that's great. So, you know, I'm always open for conversations to talk shop. My Reed Lappin, L-A-P-P-I-N, LinkedIn, shoot me a message there. Our corporate website is 
vocal.io. And so those are two channels to get in touch with the company, get in touch with myself and would welcome any, any messages or conversations. Well, congrats on all the success. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. I'll make sure I include all those links in the show notes. Have an awesome day and I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Hey, thank you, Dennis. Have a great day. Listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in. I truly appreciate your time. If you're enjoying the podcast, then do me a huge favor. Click the subscribe button now and please leave me a review. It would mean a lot to me.